Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. President Trump came to power promising to build a wall. And throughout his term, there was turmoil at the border. Don't worry, we're going to build the wall. That wall will go up so fast, your head will spin. And you'll say, you know, he meant it. And you know what else I mean? Mexico is going to pay for the wall. When Joe Biden took office, he promised a more humane approach to the migrant crisis at the border with Mexico. The first action today... Uh, we're going to work to undo the moral and national shame of the previous administration that literally, not figuratively, ripped children from the arms of their families. But we're now seeing a surge in the numbers trying to cross the border. It's at its highest peak in 20 years, with many people being sent straight back to Mexico, hundreds of miles away from where they crossed the border. Under the Trump administration, they wouldn't have taken this trip because they had heard what was going on but they thought things would be different under Biden. So they took their chance and it didn't work. They ended up back in Mexico. Last month alone, more than 170,000 people were caught by the US border authorities. 18,800 of them were unaccompanied children. Almost double the number in February and more than America has ever seen in a single month. So what's gone wrong? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, a dispatch from El Paso. Crisis at the border. The first thing I noticed is that there were two women just sitting so you cross into Mexico on one side and you cross back to the U.S. on the other. That's Trisha Garcia, a freelance journalist in El Paso, Texas. She had just walked across the bridge, which forms an international border. It's a short stroll from her home in El Paso to the neighboring city of Ciudad Juarez in Mexico. But it's a very different world when you get there. In between, there are several lanes for cars to come back and forth. And there are these giant pillars on the sides of these lanes that are holding up this international bridge sign, the Juarez city sign. And 
there were these two migrant women sitting at the bottom of the pillar. And it looked like they had just crossed into Mexico. Like that, that's the side they were sitting on, just sitting on the floor. Both of them were holding babies, uh, very young babies. One of them was still breastfeeding. Like that's how young that child was. And, you know, the moms were not in sweaters. It was cold that day. It was, it was rainy and windy and it was very cold for a march, which is unusual. And, you know, they were just kind of huddled together trying to keep their babies warm. Their babies were, were wrapped in blankets, but the moms were obviously cold. At one point, several times actually throughout the day that I was there, one of the moms was breastfeeding. And, you know, for me, it was just, it was very emotional for me. I I had a, my first son in October. So I'm thinking about, you know, my own journey as a new mother and the decisions that got this woman to this point. Like I said, it it was very cold. The wind would come and the baby would cry because it was so cold. And at one point she had a little backpack with her. She would pull out um, socks to put over the baby's hands to keep the baby warm. So it was, it was really hard. It was very emotional to watch this. At one point, my faith in humanity was a little restored. A woman walked by just random woman and took off the jacket she was wearing and gave it to this mother who cried just at that generosity. So that was like the first part of my day, my interaction with these migrants. Trisha moved to El Paso three years ago. It's pretty unusual for an American city. El Paso is the farthest west in Texas you can get, and it's right on the border. I joke with my parents all the time that I can throw a rock and it would land in Mexico. And that's that's really how close we are. There's, you know, what we call the border highway, and you can drive down the highway and essentially you have the U.S. on one side and Mexico on the other. And you can see, you know, all of their houses and we have an entire vision line of Mexico from El Paso. And we call Juarez our sister city. Juarez is almost an extension of El Paso. The two cities are nestled closely together with just a highway and an international border between them. We're binational is what we call it. And most people here are bilingual, they're bicultural. So it's a beautiful place to live, but it's also come with, you know, a lot of challenges in the last couple of years. We do have a border wall, but It just doesn't seem like there's that separation, like Juarez is part of our community. There are people who live in Juarez and work in El Paso and vice versa. There are people with family in Juarez and the travel back and forth hasn't really stopped. It's often talked about that the margarita was invented here and people go over there to what's called the Kentucky Bar, which is supposedly the birthplace of the margarita. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so that's, you know, that's a frequent thing that people do. Um, some people go over there to shop. Some people go over there for, you know, prescriptions or surgeries or things like that. You know, I have friends that take their dogs over there to get their dog's health care done because it's so much cheaper in Mexico. <laughs> and if you're traveling from one to the other, how do you do it? You can drive or you can walk. So you can just park on the U.S. side. Like like that's what I did when I went to Juarez a couple weeks ago. Mm. So I just parked on the U.S. side and I took the International Bridge over and it. you just walk over the bridge. And it's literally, you know, you pay, I think it's 25 cents on our side and five pesos coming back. And yeah, you put your coin in the little machine and 
you just walk up and the halfway point is at the very top. It's a very steep bridge, actually. I wasn't expecting that, but it is. And right at the top, the peak is where the actual border is. Mm. And so when you go up, you go up in the U.S. and you come down in Mexico and then vice versa. In her three years of living in El Paso, Trisha had never actually crossed the bridge before. But one day in late March, she made her way over the border to report on the wave of daily migrant expulsions that are currently taking place. What's going on is that the area, it's called the Rio Grande Valley, which is in South Texas, on the other side of Mexico, they're experiencing a very large influx of migrants that we're not necessarily seeing here. And we're seeing a lot, but it's not to that point. And their border patrol facilities are overwhelmed. They don't have the agents, they don't have the space to process all of the people that are crossing. And so what they're doing is they're flying them, they're putting these people on a plane, they're flying them to El Paso, putting them on a bus, busing them to the International Bridge, and then just escorting them up and telling them to keep going. So before these migrants even know what's happening, at one point, you know, they're in the U.S., they think we've reached our goal, we've gotten here, we're okay. And then they're being told to just keep walking And all of a sudden, Mexican officials are telling them they're in Mexico. From what they've told us, they are not being told where they're being flown to, where they're being bused to. And it's not until they're in Mexico that somebody tells them they're in Mexico that they realize that they failed. You know, they're not in the U.S. anymore. When you actually went over to report on this, can you just describe what you were seeing? You know, I, I didn't know what to expect. Like I said, we had a set time that they were doing this every day. You know, it was around two o'clock pretty much every day that these expulsions were happening. So I got there a couple hours early just to get a lay of the land and get familiar with Juarez. A couple of hours after Trisha saw the two mothers trying to keep their babies warm, she saw a new group of migrants arriving. They had just walked from the U.S. side into Ciudad Juarez. They had kind of lined them up and pushed them immediately into it's a parking lot right off the, the lanes of cars. And it's gated. And they pushed them in there so that we couldn't see them directly. We couldn't talk to them. But they were just checking them out, making sure that none of them were sick. There was an, an ambulance back there, some healthcare workers. They gave them some snacks, some bottled water. And they just let them sit there for a couple hours. One of the things you notice when they bring them over, they don't have shoelaces. So that's something that Border Patrol does when they're in custody. They consider shoelaces to be, you know, dangerous. They could harm themselves or others. Oh. And so they take them away. And it's something that's not returned when they're released. So these people who already have so little, like they're coming to the U.S. with most of the time just the clothes on their backs. Some of them have like a small backpack that they might be carrying with things for their children. Maybe it might have another outfit for them. And so it seems so silly to, to, to notice something like their shoelaces, but they have so little. So for something to be taken away from that and not returned is so bothersome. That must be awful. Tell me about some of the other people you spoke to there. Yeah, so it took a few hours before they finally opened the gate again and let these families out. And they just kind of spilled out onto the streets of Juarez. Um, There was a father and he eventually told us that his son was two. And they were just sitting there kind of huddled up trying to stay warm. And the father, he was the one that talked to us the most. He was from Honduras. His name was Joel. 
and he had a two-year-old son with him and it was just the two of them and he, he he was holding the boy the whole time the boy was wrapped in a jacket literally like the jacket was too large for him. it was clearly like his father's jacket and so it was like draped over him and he had tied the arms of the jacket around his son's waist to like fasten it in place just to keep him warm and he had a backpack on him it wasn't jam-packed with stuff it just looked like a backpack and they were just looking around and and he was like i don't know what to do he told us that he had a coffee farm in Honduras that had been destroyed by a hurricane. He said that his home had pretty much been destroyed as well. They used all of their money to make this trip. He said it took them 12 days to get to the U.S. And three days later, they found themselves back in Mexico. And he said that that the only extra money they had was for food. He's like, you know, I'm, I'm hundreds of miles from home. I have no money. They said, no, I, I don't know what to do. Like, I was never supposed to end up in Mexico. If you cross the border unlawfully, then we will prosecute you. It's that simple. If you smuggle illegal aliens across our border, then we will prosecute you. If you are smuggling a child, then we will prosecute you. And that child may be separated from you as required by law. That was the Attorney General, Jeff Sessions, back in the spring of 2018, launching President Trump's zero-tolerance policy towards migrants. It led to a wave of children being separated from their parents, who now face prosecution. In 2019, as a new migrant crisis erupted, horrifying images of these children in cages, crying out for their parents, sent shockwaves around the world. Tricia says that despite President Biden's promises, the situation now has echoes of that bleak period. Yeah, I think we all thought that things would be different. And even, you know, the migrant families that we spoke to, they said that they thought that this was their opportunity, that under the Trump administration, they wouldn't have taken this trip because they had heard what was going on. But they thought things would be different under Biden. So they took their chance and it didn't work. They ended up back in Mexico which isn't even their home. Most of these people are coming from Honduras, Guatemala, these Central American countries. And so when you send them back to Mexico, that's hundreds of miles from home. So why are these expulsions, like the one Trisha witnessed, still taking place? Last March, Donald Trump enacted Title 42, a policy which allows Customs and Border Protection to expel undocumented migrants immediately in order to prevent the spread of the virus. The Biden administration has kept Title 42 in place, which is something the Trump administration took on. It was essentially a way for the Trump administration to carry out former President Trump's border policies. You know, his wall wasn't complete. Family separations were not deterring migrants as they thought it would. And so this was another step for them. And we thought the Biden administration would reverse Title 42 immediately. We don't know when it's going to be reversed, if it's going to be reversed. I would imagine at some point COVID will no longer be deemed such a high priority and they will have no choice. For you, living in El Paso, I mean, how often do you come across people with with stories like this? So I, I don't I wouldn't say that they stay here. A lot of times they are released or bust out, things like that. So I'll, I'll give you an example. ICE admitted that they dropped 
the ball, that they made a mistake yesterday by not giving the community any kind of heads up on releasing 214 migrants at the Greyhound bus station last night and early this morning. I got here at the beginning of 2018 and that year, two days before Christmas, it was December 23rd, I was working in a newsroom as a news producer and I got a phone call. Just a woman, she was like, hey, you know, it's Christmas. I was picking my mom up from the bus station and I noticed that Border Patrol was there releasing all of these migrants at the bus station. And now they're all just sitting here and none of them know what to do. And, you know, in the newsroom, we were like, what? What? It's the week of Christmas. We can't get a hold of anyone at Border Patrol at that point. So we just sent a reporter out there. And sure enough, you know, by the van load, they were just dropping migrants off with no warning to the city. And our reporter's tweets started to go viral. And all of a sudden we had people showing up with boxes of pizza and cases of water. At that point, the shelters in El Paso got involved and started taking people in. They started making arrangements. Translators started showing up and helping people. They're like, do you have family in the U.S.? Do you have the money for a bus ticket? Can they send you the money for a bus ticket? Helping them make these travel arrangements to get them to family or get them to the shelter if they didn't have family to go to. And that's kind of what's, what still happens. Not the releases. They're not just dumping them on the streets anymore. They've worked out a relationship with the local shelters that they release them in smaller groups to the shelter that can then process them and, and help them move on to wherever they're going. But since that, you know, the last week of, of 2018, this has been a regular theme in El Paso. But it's also beautiful in a way to see our resiliency and to see how much we still care about our neighbors and what they need, the the blood donations, the food, the water, the supplies, the shelters, still making those rounds and being able to help people. And that's a testament to what El Paso is as a community. It was 2019 when you had the crisis under the Trump administration. Would you describe what's happening now as a crisis again? Is it on a similar scale? I don't think so. And I think part of the reason is that El Paso isn't seeing the same influx that the Rio Grande Valley is. The expulsions that are happening are people that have crossed in another part of Texas, you know, hundreds of miles away and are being flown here. So there's no direct impact on El Paso. They're being brought here and immediately sent back to Mexico. Is it still heartbreaking for a community? Yes, but it's not the same. You know, we're not seeing the quote-unquote kids in cages, you know, under the bridge that we were seeing in 2019. And that's literally how bad it was. There would be pop-up processing centers next to the International Bridge that was just a gate. It was just a gate. And people were, they had the foil blankets and they were laying on the floor and trying to stay warm. And we haven't seen it reach that level yet this year. But I think that that we're still, you know, ahead of the summer season. That's when things got very bad in 2019. Do you have a sense of sort of the numbers at the moment? As of, this is the end of March, just in El Paso, there had been, it's 8,636 unaccompanied children. For family units, it's 9,477. And for single adults, it's 53,695. Total, that's about a 200% increase from last year. But last year, you know, we were facing a pandemic. Things were a lot different. And just give us a quick guide to why exactly all of this is happening. I mean, who is allowed to come into the country legally? Right now, they're using Title 42 
this health protocol, this COVID protection to expel people. And from what I've seen, it can be anyone. Now we're told there's another title, Title VIII, that is supposed to allow families with Border Patrol's direct quote was tender aged children. They are supposed to be allowed into the U.S. to seek asylum. They can be released with notice to appear. That would mean they'd be released and given a charging document, which is just a notice to appear in an immigration court in order to fight the case against their removal. And this is whether they cross legally or illegally, they can be released with notice to appear because of the age of their children. It's considered dangerous for them to be then expelled into Mexico. But what we're seeing is it's happening anyway. We don't know why. We don't know how they're choosing, which families they're releasing. And for a lot of these people who are coming over, I mean, where are they coming from and what's driving them? We're still seeing some people coming from Mexico. I would say maybe about a third of like single adults are coming from Mexico. But the majority of them are coming from Honduras and Guatemala in Central America. And we know that, that those countries have violence. You know, they have cartel violence, they have gang violence. But that's been driving people here for years. And then poverty, again, driving people here for years. Then we saw the COVID-19 pandemic. And so then these families got even more desperate and started coming. And you add that to the climate crisis. And these countries have just been hit with horrible hurricanes that's destroying what little livelihoods they did have. And so they have nowhere else to go. They have the violence, the poverty, the pandemic, and now climate on top of all of that. And they just feel like they have no other choice. In a moment, we'll find out what's changed and what hasn't at the border since President Biden took office. Get to the heart of the stories that matter every day. Subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times today and get one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. People are clearly very desperate. That's why they're coming. We were told, though, that Joe Biden was going to come up with a more humane border policy so what exactly has he changed? He repealed the migrant protection 
protocols. MPP is also called Remain in Mexico. Tonight, the Biden administration is allowing some asylum seekers who've been waiting at a camp in Mexico to cross into the U.S. to have their asylum requests processed. Now, one step closer to having their cases heard, some waiting years. The Trump administration's policy sent more than 70,000 people back to Mexico, creating a bottleneck of cases. Trump had ruled, you know, they can come here, whether they're, you know, cross legally or illegally. And we're going to send them back to Mexico. They're going to wait along the border and they have to file for asylum in Mexico first and just wait for their court date, their turn. And part of the problem with this is one, Mexico's not safe either for them. And two, then we got hit with this pandemic and court dates just slid back and they weren't being processed. And there was these huge delays. So then they're just sitting there with nothing to do, no job no money, hundreds of miles from home, and they're supposed to be seeking asylum. And Biden, the goal, the hope was that he would repeal that right away. It didn't need like congressional approval, but it still took him weeks. The problem is he's still using Title 42. And that's what we need repealed next. And and it's again, something that he does not need congressional approval for. He could overturn this with a signature and he's not doing it. Are you surprised? Yeah, I, you know, and, and that was part of my emotion the day that I spent in Juarez because I was like, things were supposed to be different. The U.S. was supposed to be better under the Biden administration. And I saw it first, like it's not, you know, we're still doing terrible things to these families. There was clearly a crisis point in 2019 under President Trump We all saw the pictures, they were horrific, but that wasn't the first time policies have led to families being separated and people being sent back, obviously. So talk us through just a brief history of border policies in recent times. Yes, family separation did exist prior to the Trump administration, but it wasn't enforced at the same level. Family separation was still a policy under Obama. People were still being deported under Obama. That's true, but it just, it wasn't at the same levels. And then you didn't have the president getting up in front of the nation and, and you know, saying things like they're coming from shithole countries. And I think that's where the big difference came in. You had the same policies, but you also had this language being used that was drawing attention to the policies you're using. I would say that Obama was almost doing it under the radar, but it got worse. You know, climate change has gotten worse in the last 10 years, and it only drove more and more people up every year. What happens next? I mean, if the Biden administration wants to fix this, how do they go about doing it? It starts with Title 42, and he's got to repeal Title 42. Title 42, remember, was Donald Trump's policy under which these daily expulsions are now taking place, ostensibly as a precaution against coronavirus. That's what's hurting so many of these families right now are these Title 42 expulsions. But then once they are here, we have to have a humane way of processing them, of handling them, of getting them to their families or through immigration processes, which could take years. And that first step is these border patrol facilities and making sure that they're treating people humanely and, you know, giving them a toothbrush as crazy as that sounds. It's something so small that they weren't getting in 2019. Mm. They weren't getting the toiletries that they needed. 
making sure that the health checks are adequate and, and people are not dying of the flu in our border patrol facilities. But I've asked her, uh, the VP today, because she's the most qualified person to do it, to lead our efforts with uh, Mexico and the Northern Triangle and the countries uh, that uh, help, uh, we're going to need help in stemming the movement of uh, so many folks uh, stemming the migration to our southern border. Last month, Joe Biden put his vice president, Kamala Harris, in charge of border issues, showing it was clearly a priority. But Tricia says, so far, nothing's changed. You know, I actually just saw it this morning that Vice President Kamala Harris has not had a press conference, and I think it was 26 days, and that's since Biden tapped her to take over on the border. And so we haven't heard from her. We don't know what she's doing. And I think that's part of the problem. Why do you think they're avoiding a press conference? Because they're not doing anything. I think that's the reality. You know, they might have hearings. They might be like, oh, this is what's like every day. I think we've had different tours on the border, different lawmakers here, congressmen, congresswomen. But it's taking so long to then getting that change at the political level. And that's what we're still waiting for. And the longer we wait, the more we're going to, the more people we're going to see at our border. And unfortunately, the more death we're going to see at our border because that season is coming. They're going to, that trip is going to get more challenging. And what do you think will happen to some of the people you saw at the border? You know, the woman with a baby with little socks to keep it warm or Joel and his little son. My hope is that they've found help in Juarez. And if, you know, their choice is to go home and try to rebuild, I hope that they're able to do it. But really, I'd love to see them in the U.S. Anything to get them the life that, I mean, they, they spent their life savings for, that they took that dangerous journey for. And so I'm hopefully optimistic for them, but it's going to take a lot of work on the U.S. side to see those changes. Covering the story and living where you do, how much has it affected you? I mean, just the day of itself was difficult being there. I was holding back tears, talking to these families and seeing everything that I've talked about today. I got home and and I hugged my son a little closer and I, you know, I have my husband to lean on and I was able to, you know, come home and cry and get that emotion out. But it's hard Mm. and it's been hard on our entire community for several years now. I am Hispanic. You know, I've got the dark hair. My last name is Garcia. And that even though I'm not from El Paso, like this is still my community. And luckily, our community's been resilient. We're still standing. You know, we are what we call El Paso strong. And I hope that that lasts. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. With me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, freelance journalist Trisha Garcia. The producers today were Asia Fuchs and Oliver Adamson. The executive producer is Poppy Damon, and sound design was by Gareth Isles. If there's a story that you'd like us to look into, any ideas for future episodes, or any thoughts on what you've just heard, 
then please do get in touch. Drop us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. See you again soon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.